Thank you for coming to the podcast. It's Top Turtle MMA Podcast, and it is brought to you, as always, by Sisu Mouthguards. What is a Sisu Mouthguard, you might be asking yourself. Sisu makes the most thinnest, lightest, most durable mouthguard on the market. It's 1.6 millimeters thin. You can talk, you can breathe, you can drink, all with the mouthguard in your mouth. I dare say it's a revolutionary mouthguard. This ain't your grandmama's mouthguard. This is a new generation of mouthguards. It's actually called the Next Gen Mouthguard, and you can check it out at sisuguard.com. You're going to like the way your mouthguard feels. I guarantee it. That's sisuguard.com, and it brings you this episode of Top Turtle, which starts right now. We are rolling. I am David Tremonti, along with my co-host Daniel Gumby Vreeland, the co-editor of MMA-Manifesto.com. He is. We're part of the Sports Daily Network. Uh, you can catch us there. Tune in, Stitcher, SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play, really wherever a podcast is being streamed. You can find us. Hit the download button. Give us a like. Give us a subscribe. Write a review, why don't you? It helps keep the lights on at the Top Turtle Podcast Studio. Gumby, one of the things I love about our show is we don't waste our listeners' time talking about random crap, non-fight stuff about our days, our hair, our lives, our hopes, our dreams. We just get right into it. So let's get right into it uh anthony rumble johnson retired after succumbing to a rear naked choke in the second round to daniel cormier what a wild night at ufc 210 yeah and i think that was the second weirdest thing that happened in that fight the first weirdest being that he decided that he was going to wrestle anthony johnson you, that anthony johnson was going to wrestle or daniel it, cormier yeah exactly I, other way around rumble johnson tried to wrestle dc which is just i, I mean insane to me and, and by the the sounds of the audio that I listened to, it's insane for his coach too. Um, yeah, you had Henry Hooft uh, in the corner audio screaming stuff like "Get get away, get away," and, uh, and he had a success away, right? Like I, I mean, I'm pretty sure DC's got a broken nose, right? Like mm -hmm. he broke his nose with a uh, flurry. I, I'm not sure which one did it, but he made good contact with a kick, good contact with a punch. He wasn't like wobbly or anything, but solid enough that dc looked like his nose was broken and he couldn't bleed or breathe and uh then he wrestled him up uh just really really odd stuff and then i mean the cryptic final message from anthony rumble johnson being that he was going to go do something non-mma related i mean i'll throw this one over to you did you have any clue what he could possibly be talking about. There was a lot of scuttlebutt online about him becoming the Rams strength and conditioning coach because I guess he was posting a lot of Rams-related material on his Twitter. That has proven not to be true. I'm sure by the time this uh, drops, you know, some internet sleuth will have figured it out. But he says it's non-combat related. He's sick of getting punched in the face. Uh, you know, and this came just an hour or so after... Um, uh, what's his name retired? Patrick, Patrick Cote, Cote, you know, who's, who's a, older and a veteran, and you know, Rumble's a veteran too. But I, Rumble's this close to being champ. I mean, he's like one bad game plan away from possibly being champ last. You know, so this that weekend was one other thing. Before we go on to Rumble's future career plans, and I love the idea of Anthony Rumble Johnson working in like an office cubicle. <laughs> um, but uh, the game plan was horrific, and I really thought, and I couldn't remember if I said it last week on our our lead in on our preview show to two ten. But, you know, Cormier, his chin has really been tested here the last three fights. Rumble tagged him in their first fight, May of 2015. 
October of 2015, Gus rocked him with a knee in the third round. Cormier still survived. And then last year, July of 2016, Anderson Silva on the short notice. Cormier just dominated with the wrestling. But in the final, like, 30 seconds of that fight, if memory serves... Had him a little wobbly. Had him a little, you know, shooken uh, because Cormier is not the quickest with the hand speed. Striking defense may be a little suspect. I just, geez, Rumble Johnson. I mean, how do you just not? unload and go for that and go out on a high note, you know, guns yeah. blazing. Well, and, and you know, when, when he announced his retirement, first of all, I, I won't lie. I was shocked. But give me five minutes after he announced his retirement and the whole fight to me all of a sudden made sense. Right. I really do believe he made that choice before the fight and not after and think he was going to retire, win, lose, or draw. Yes, uh, I agree with that. Because sometimes people say that, like, you know, Coach A said that. If he goes out there and dominates and wins in five seconds over Tiago Alves, might we see him again and he might forget that he was planning on retiring? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Or Misha Tate comes to mind at UFC 205. I think if she had had a better performance, she'd still be fighting yeah, right if, now. if she didn't throw in a dud against... It, uh, was it Raquel Pennington? Definitely. I, I think maybe she would have rethought it. But after all of that, I just thought to myself, I was like, man, that makes so much sense that Gus fought that, or not Gus, uh, Rumble fought that way, and we got that announcement after That performance, right. The performance matched where his headset was Absolutely. Because right. I don't think it was in the fight. So uh, let's move to who DC fights next, because they set it up like a good pro wrestling angle. Manoa was there. John Jones was there. What do you see next for DC? Is it Jones or is it Manoa? I, I think it's got to be Jones. As much as I like Manoa, I mean, Manoa's coming off a knockout win over Corey Anderson, whereas... Uh, John Jones' last match, am I wrong? Didn't he beat Daniel Cormier? I mean, is that... No, he beat OSP in that oh, comeback beat OSP. fight That's in right. April of 2016. That's right. But he holds, like, a dominant win over yes. the champ. I, I mean, it, it hasn't lost, ever. You know, unless you count that, that bullshit... It hasn't uh, lost ever, yet. yeah. Bullshit Matt, Matt Hamill DQ. So I, I think it's got to be him, especially because I expect him to be cleared fairly soon, right? And, uh, I, I mean, if he wasn't, you could give it a Manawa. If not, let's run Manawa with the winner... Of uh, Gus and Tex for the, for there the you go. next shot. I you like know? that. Or maybe uh, with a dominant Misha Serkinov win, just give Manoa Misha Serkinov. Yeah, there you go. That's um, interesting. Or, yeah, because I don't think he would fight Gus now that I think about it, too. If Gus won, they're teammates. Right. Uh, and and they, Gus already has that win over him. And Yeah, so it, it might not be. You want to talk about, sorry to interrupt, fighters that have a weird are in a weird headspace right now about their careers and whatnot. Gus has basically all but hinted that he's almost out the door as I well. Well, could you imagine how catastrophic that would be for the light heavyweight division if Alexander Gustafson walked away right now? Sure. I mean, that that is scary thin at the top of the division. And Glover is no spring chicken. Glover's no spring chicken. Freaking John Jones is always one traffic incident away from being out of there. <laughs> I mean, what are you left with if that all goes down? I mean, that division is very close to crumbling. Uh, we'll move to the co-main event. You had a uh, very uh, contentious uh, controversy, uh, controversial ending with Musasi kneeing Weidman in the head. The ref thought that Weidman had both hands down on the canvas, but replays then showed that Musasi did a slick move where he actually lifted up on Weidman's torso, thus pulling his hands off the mat, and the knees were, in fact, legal. Uh, after five minutes of the New York State Athletic Commission not knowing what the F was going on, they uh, announced Musasi the winner, uh, even though Weidman said he could go on. And uh, you have now Weidman saying that he will 
uh, contend okay. this loss. Um, but what did you make of the uh, just anarchy? So I, I think the biggest issue is is that the the commission didn't seem at least the the people who were in the ring as the commission. I don't mean the commission in general, but I mean the commission being the people in the ring and the people cage side didn't seem to understand that. McCarthy was it McCarthy in the no well, it was McCarthy Mergliata. was outside Mergliata was Mergliata. in yeah they didn't seem to understand that Mergliata stopped that fight because of the foul not because Weidman was unconscious or you know dazed if Weidman was dazed and out they would have made the right decision but as soon as he found out that it wasn't because uh, it, of an illegal knee it was because of a legal need they should have put him right back in the position and it should have just kept going I mean that's what happens. Second of all, it he should have never found out it was a legal knee. There's no instant replay. How, how could you possibly go to a guy I, who's not in the cage so and make that decision? It's anarchy. I think it just came out that there is a obscure, at best, rule that you could do something called pulling as a ref, and you could ask the referee stationed outside to look at the replay and tell you. Oh, wow. Yeah. That, I mean, that's, first of all, a freaking terrible rule. Uh, I'll start there. And second of all, even if that was true, shouldn't shouldn't we have just restarted? Well, like, I, th- well I think that was the idea, but then you had the doctor went rogue. The doctor went rogue and said, no, this man cannot continue. Bottom line is, what makes it all the more con- controversial is that Musasi is a free agent now. And yeah. he could go to Bellator off this quote-unquote win. And I have to be honest with you, I didn't think Weidman looked that in it at that point i thought even just the fact that he was putting his hands down like that to kind of buy time and not try to fight out think, of it i think his gas tank was down yeah and i, I agree with that. i so that's why i'm like i mean i'm a wideman fan and i hate to see a guy now go to bellator it almost would have been easier for me to compute all of this had wideman just won and then musasi goes to bellator um, but at the same time, I think Musasi was well on his way to winning that fight because Weidman looked gassed, and as a Weidman fan, I'm starting to get a little worried that his grapple first approach seems to lend him in a lot of tr- get him in a lot of trouble with his gas tank. Well, it, it recently lands him in a lot of trouble with his gas tank, and it also leads him open to sprawling brawls. I mean, that that's eventually what Yoel Romero did to him, right? Yoel Romero saved off enough of the grappling and then hit him with a bomb. I, I mean, I, and I well, think hit that's him with what, a knee as he was coming in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but I, I think that's what Luke Rockhold did to him to some extent, too. You stuff enough of those, and, and it opens him up to getting hit because you're not afraid of the takedown anymore. Uh, and that style is just kind of dangerous when you fight somebody like that. Um, I, I will go back on what you said, though, and, and just mention Chris Weidman definitely won that first round, though. Yeah, I mean, Chris Weidman was at Mount a couple of times. But here's the thing. Chris Weidman won, I think, the first round against Rockhold. Chris Weidman first won the round first against round against Joe Romero. He's running into trouble in the later rounds, yeah, in the I middle mean, of these fights. I, I guess I didn't think about that. I, I was so caught up in just, like, the I, anarchy I, of I mean, it's bu- it, it was bullshit. Like, the commission had an awful week. I mean, and we're not even talking about, I mean, obviously the weigh-ins happened after we did our last show. The whole DC hanging on the, the towel part of the weigh-ins was crazy. Nobody loses 1.2 pounds. And there have been a number of fighters who've shown... In like a minute, right? Uh, yeah, he lost it in like a minute. There's been a number of fighters who have shown in videos now. Aljamain Sterling, I think, said he could lose 2.7 pounds uh, if you let him do that. Um, and, and then the whole thing with... Pearl Gonzalez, friend of the show, uh, they told her she couldn't fight. Then they told her she could fight again. Then they told her she couldn't because fight again. Because of her and then breast augmentation could. surgery. Yeah, and, and it, this commission, 
between this and the the Holly Holm Jermaine Durandamy fight, I, I mean, they have really botched a lot of things in a very that short fight bored the shit out of me. Remind me of the controversy, the controversy there. Oh, this bad scoring. Yeah. Well, bad scoring and Durandamy hit. Holly Holm twice after the bell, right? And, and no, no penalties because it was like a rookie ref in there. So you know that, yeah. So assigning a rookie ref to a championship fight is egregious. I too bad weigh in mistakes. Is yeah, egregious. That's worse though to me because yeah. something that happens in the moment with highly trained professional athletes. Listen, a Dan Mergliata, I don't really fault him. I thought uh, on the live viewing that Weidman's hands were down. Well, Turned and, out they weren't. I, I've got no problem what he did either. But then again. It's the commission that made the decision. Yes. And, and then something like a weigh-in where you have time to think about these things and you can clearly see him, yeah. you know, cheating. Anyway, this is what I want to get to. I'll do your job for you. If Musasi resigns with the UFC, which Dana White said he would like to resign him, it's an easy rematch. He fights Chris White. Yeah. There's, and we don't even have to talk about it. And I will also mention that Dana White said, you know, in terms of the pay, he loves Gegard Musasi. He brought him into the promotion. But one of the reasons that Mark Hunt makes the money he makes, and I didn't think of this because I said he did start making that money off of the Brock Lesnar fight in UFC 200, which is true, but one of the other justifications is that when they go to New Zealand or Australia, they sell the motherfucker out. Hunt, much like McGregor, much like certain Brazilians, they have a whole country behind them that's buying tickets, and that's why they make they make the money they do. Now, this is obviously Dana White publicly negotiating, but I thought it was a good point. Yep. If Musasi doesn't resign and goes to Bellator, let's just say this real quick, what do you do with Weidman? Ah, uh, that's a tough one. Um, how about Gastelum? Uh, Calvin Gastelum's not a bad pick. I put him in there with Johnny Hendricks or oh. um, the winner of Dan Kelly or Lorenz Larkin. There, uh, Lorenz Larkin. He's in Bellator. Oh, not Lorenz Larkin. Oh, uh, Rich, well, he just, Dan Kelly just beat Rashad who the hell Evans. Is Dan Kelly. Oh, Derek Brunson. Derek, Derek Brunson. Brunson. Sorry, okay, yeah. uh, Lorenz Larkin's not even the right weight class. <laughs> um, Derek Brunson. Yeah, so I'd give him Dan Kelly, Derek Brunson winner. All right, and now here's a little bit of breaking news before we go on to the rest of two ten real quick. Uh, Jacare Souza is going to fight out his contract and he will not renegotiate. He's going to go to free agency to see what's out there. So this middleweight division, um, very interesting, you know, and middleweight and light heavyweight going awry. Oh God. And yeah, it's just, uh, you know, if, if we're seeing kind of, if Weidman, he's a family man, he reached the top. If he feels like he can't get back up there, you know, this is now technically a third loss in a row. Um, you know, I'm glad Gastelum's on the rise. Yeah, well, I, I think Chris Weidman still really feels like he's at the top of the heap. I don't think you're going to see him go anywhere or talk about leaving the sport yet because he, I mean, he feels like he was at the top of the heap and he got caught twice, which fairness, I mean, he got it caught at least once in one of those fights. And then he feels like he got wronged here. So I, I don't think you're, you're as close to seeing him at the end of his rope is, uh, we might be led to believe, but um, he definitely needs a win the next time out. But I just think the division as a whole might it's, be in a yeah. bit of trouble. Because he's I mean, also, don't forget, he's 32. The lower weight classes look so much nicer now yes. than the upper ones, don't then, they? Yes. And that's that's kind of a scary proposition. All right, let's bounce back to 210 real quick. Those are your two co-main events. Give me a performer and give me a fight that you really enjoyed or are excited about. Uh, Charles Rosa versus Shane Burgos was such a fun fight to watch. I, I'm pretty sure it won fight of the night. Um, Charles Rosa was super close to winning a decision. He got knocked out in the last round while he was still on his feet. 
sort of controversial, but not quite. But what a fun fight that was. And uh, the performer, I'll give it to Cynthia Calvijo. Um, she just looks she good. She looks so good. And that's the second fight in two months uh, where she's looked that good. So she's fighting often and well. Um, and I think you're going to see her up against some top straw weights very quickly because that grappling is deadly. Slick jits. She had some slick jits. Um, and then the other thing just to mention was uh, Henry Hooft did say today, this was on the MMA Hour, credit where credit's due, he did not walk out of the cage, though he was frustrated with Rumble. He wasn't purposely like, fuck this, kick rocks, I'm out of here. He just happened to go back to the back. So you remember... Uh, after- I mean, you, he might say that, but when have you ever seen a head coach walk away like that? I mean, and not be in the cage, especially when you knew your fighter was retiring. Oh, that's a good point. I, I yeah. mean, and, and you went to the back. You just happened to be like, oh, it was a title fight. He's going to have an interview. There are going to be photo ops in the cage. I'll just go to the back and wait for him. Uh, I will mention that I, I was a little disappointed in his team for not being there. With the only exception, I'm pretty sure Neil Melanson was in the cage. He was in the cage. I, I want to yeah, give credit yeah. to Neil Melanson because I love that dude. Well, one other thing about Henry Hooft. He also said it's possible he'll be in Robbie Lawler's corner when he fights this summer. So, oh, weird. Yeah. That's kind of a little bit of a ATT to Black Zillions yeah, back to ATT trade. All right. Now, that being said, the one and last news bit to cover Gumby and it's something we've been covering week in and week out. And if you want to just say, I'll take a pass on even commenting on it, you had even stronger support this past weekend from Dana White. He said the Floyd versus Connor fight will happen, and he's been in talks with Floyd's team. Yeah, I don't, I still don't believe it's going to happen. And here's why I just think Floyd's not willing to give up a big enough piece of the pie to Connor. And the fact that the UFC is going to want their sticky fingers in there, too. Um, I think both of them are going to look to get paid. And Floyd's not used to negotiating with people who think they're worth as much as he is. Hmm. Uh, it, it, you know, He's used to getting $500 million while the other guy gets $25 million. Uh, so I don't think he, this gets done still. I, okay. I, I have that weird feeling. I think you bring up some good points. I still think it will because I think there's too much money on the table. I think they have a debt to pay off, and mm-hmm. I think they'll come together. But you know what? With this amount of egos involved, it's going to be tricky. I agree. All right. We will transition now to our interview with Brian Bam Bam Barberena, and it, of course, is brought to you by Datsusara Hemp Gear. Datsusara makes fight gear entirely out of hemp, hemp a billion times stronger than cotton. I highly encourage you to go to their website, check out their fight gear. It's dsgear.com, hemp geese, hemp fight shorts, and hemp shirts for rolling and general mixed martial arts play. I have the shorts and the shirt, and I love them. I train in them all the time. Nothing but good things to say about them. They're my favorite pair of fight shorts, and I think you would enjoy them too if you are a grappler or MMA fighter and you dig the whole hemp scene. Actually, you don't even need to dig the hemp scene. It just makes sense. It's super durable. It's antimicrobial. And if you've ever been in an MMA gym, you know being antimicrobial is a good thing. With all that being said, Datsusara Hemp Gear brings you our interview with Brian Barberena. This is Daniel Gumby Vreeland here with my co-host Dave Tremonte, and we are talking to Brian Barberena, who fights Joe Proctor at Ultimate Fight Night Nashville. Uh, Brian, uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, your choice to move down to lightweight for this one. So you've only fought at 155 pounds once in the UFC. Uh, what prompted you to head back down there from 170? Uh, you know, actually, um, that's incorrect. Um, 
I think they got labeled as a lightweight fight because he's coming up to 70, actually. So I'm not making the trip back down. He's actually coming up to 70 to meet me. Oh, interesting, uh, interesting. Return. Yeah, so it, it was labeled as that on UFC.com this morning uh, when I did check. So um, how, how did it go about getting uh, the, the fight to have him brought up rather than just somebody in the division? Uh, you know, honestly, I'm not sure. They just called me. Uh, I was waiting on hearing on a fight. Uh, I was, you know, willing to fight anybody. There was a couple names I was looking for, but um, they called me and said, uh, Joe Proctor, and I said, is it at 170? They said, yes. I said, okay, well, there's no other, nothing else that needs to be talked about. Let's just do this. So awesome. uh, I just say yes to names. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So um, let, let's talk a little bit about him. So he is a jiu-jitsu guy typically, um, training with Joe Lozon. Uh, I, I'm fairly certain he's highly ranked. How do you take that into account in your game planning, uh, and, and do you try to stay away from that on a guy who grapples as much as he does? Uh, you know, I know he's pretty well-rounded everywhere. You know, he doesn't mind standing and banging. Uh, I'm sure he will He will try to take it down and mix it up, and he does have good jiu-jitsu. So, um, you know, I'm just well-prepared everywhere. Um, I've been working on my jiu-jitsu a lot and uh, working on my wrestling as well as my striking to show some improved striking. So um, I'll be ready for wherever the fight goes. And we're really excited to see that anyway. So uh, this fight will be on Fight Pass again. It's... it's uh... I think the second or third time you fought on Fight Pass. Did you expect to be uh, higher up on the card, given a Fight Night card, given you know that you've you've built a pretty solid name for yourself in the UFC? Yeah, you know maybe uh, I kind of thought maybe I'd be higher, but you know being on Fight Pass isn't a big deal to me. Hey, I get to go in there, I get to beat someone up early, and I get to go enjoy some food and enjoy my friends and family. Uh, so you know I'm in there to do the same job, and that's that's win the fight. So no matter what where I'm at on the card, whether it be the beginning or the end. Uh, it's the same mission, and that's to go in there and win. Absolutely. And so uh, preparing for this this fight card is uh, is a little bit different and a little bit the same, uh, typically, to what you usually do. So the MMA lab seems uh, pretty often to be preparing for fights with teammates. They all wind up on the same card. Uh, I want to say a, a UFC fight pass card a little while ago had three or four of you guys on it. Uh, your training partner, Scott Holtzman, getting ready to fight on the same card. Is that always by design or uh do you and your team just kind of happen to fall on the same card so often? I mean, uh, every time we have a guy fighting, we have other guys looking for fights. We definitely try to push to get us on the card. It's just easier for us to to be there with each other and be there with our coaches and uh, the more the merrier kind of thing. Um, but it just happens to play out that way. Um, we do try to push it, but sometimes it doesn't work out, and sometimes it does, and when it does, it's awesome. Yeah, and, and as a team, obviously, that's really awesome because, you know, one flight for your coach instead of, you know, eight or nine flights for your coach. How about for you prepping personally, uh, you know, with somebody else trying to peak at the same time as you? Uh, you know, other fighters have mentioned that the, the focus is taken off of them a little bit with their coaches. Uh, how do you feel getting ready at the same time as one of your partners? Uh, you know, I feel good about it. I feel uh, – actually, I feel great about it. It's, it's no different from any other time. Uh, I feel like our coaches – evenly spread out the time and we have other guys who have fights coming up uh the week before the week after so um you know we're always pushing each other i think that's i think it's better that way that we're fighting at the same time or near the same time because we're always pushing each other even harder than uh if we weren't scheduled so uh if there's anything you know we constantly talk about how we're feeling throughout camp and things we can switch around and move around and what things they're doing to feel better so uh mixing it up i think it's great man i really like it 
Yeah, that's awesome. And so let's talk about another one of your training partners getting ready for his fight. Uh, Augusto Mendez squares off this weekend against Aljamain Sterling. Uh, he's listed as quite a large underdog uh, in his match with Aljamain Sterling. Uh, why should people pick your, your training partner, Augusto Mendez, uh, when he faces off with this like top fiver in his division? Uh, you know, nobody should sleep on him. Uh, I mean, he's a world champion, jiu-jitsu champion. Uh, he's constantly improving in the room with his striking and everywhere uh, with his with his skills, improving everywhere. So uh, you'd be you'd be kidding yourself if you're gonna if you're gonna sleep on him because uh, he's used to being a champion. He trains at champion levels. Um, he constantly pushes himself to be a champion, and you'll see him come out victorious this weekend. Well said. Uh, now, Brian, I want to step back a second, uh, back to you and your career. Last year, by all accounts, was a tremendous year for you, somewhat of a coming-out party to the average UFC fan. You beat two highly touted prospects. I mean, you beat the biggest prospect of all prospects if you go by the UFC's <laughs> marketing machine in Sage Northcutt, and then Warley Alves, who was 4-0 at the time, uh, just a beast on the ground. You went down there, um, you put on a great performance, beat him. Ended the year on the loss to Colby Covington, but all accounts, 2-1, and one, kind of a coming out party for you the year 2016. How do you look back on last year? Um, obviously kind of a sour taste in your mouth with the December uh, fight against Colby Covington, but uh, how do you look back on it last year? Because that, that must have been a huge year for you. Yeah, you know, uh, last year was great for me. I had those two great wins. Uh, like you said, didn't end the year, didn't end the, year the way I wanted to. Um, you know, that's it's, it keeps me bitter and uh, pushing me more, even more this this fight camp to to get a finish and to fight even better. So, um, but I think last year was great. You know, I think it was great to, for the fans to see to get to know me better and my fighting style and um, really push me more for the UFC. So it was a great year overall. The loss of Covington, you know, it happens sometimes. You're going to suffer some losses in your career. It's only going to make me better, and I'm going to come back stronger. I don't think. Uh, the loss really put me too far back as far as climbing the rankings. So no, um, he's a top-notch guy. So a absolutely, and even just looking at your record right now, I mean, you know, you had the the Chad Lapreze fight, which was a fight of the night. You had your moments. Some people even gave you that fight. Uh, but other than that, I mean, really, the you know, you have to go back to 2010. I'm looking on your record here, back to 2010 yeah. in Cage Fighting Extreme. For for a legit, you know, I lost this one kind of performance. Um, yeah. So that's pretty incredible. You know, it, it's really been seven years of, of more winning than anything. Uh, so congrats on that. Now, I have Thank to ask, you. do you, um, are you still getting called the guy who beat Sage? Are you sick of that yet? Is, is that something that still comes up or not so much anymore? Uh, I think it comes up. It comes up often, kind of. Uh, I think more for just people to mess with me as far as like in the gym and stuff, like my teammates will mess with me. My coach will mess with me every now and then uh, <laughs> when he's introduced to me to somebody and just, you know, giggle off of it. Uh, it is, it is pretty, uh, pretty old and pretty annoying. Uh, I think I have greater victories on my record than, than beating him. Obviously um, the hype around it was, it was great when I fought him because he had so much marketing and stuff around him. Uh, so, you know, whatever, I'll, I'll take that all day. Um, but yeah, it doesn't really bother me. It's just kind of annoying at times. 
Yeah, and I, and I think you're you're moving past it too. You know, here we are in a new year. <laughs> yeah. He's gone on to other stuff, and it's not like that was the one thing that happened to you last year. You only followed that up by beating another mega prospect that they were trying to hype. Um, yeah. So there you go. All right. So as we wrap up here, Brian, and again, we can't thank you enough for the time. Uh, just give us, without giving away the game plan, how do you see this fight going down against Joe Proctor coming up to 170 to face you at Nashville? Well, uh, you know, if you watch my last fight, it's not going to be anything like that. Uh, I'm going to come out guns blazing. I'm going to be throwing a lot of fire, a lot of heat. Um, I'm going to be stuffing takedowns, making mad scrambles. Uh, I'm putting this guy away. Uh, I can't tell you around, but I know he's going away, and uh, I'm going to win this fight. And so you better tune in because it's going to be exciting, and you're not going to want to miss it. Boom. You heard it here first. That's awesome to hear. He is Brian Barbarena. You can follow him at Brian, B-R-Y-A-N, underscore Barbarena, B-A-R-B-E-R-E-N-A. He has a new T-shirt. You could check that out there. He's very hyped about it. Um, And, Brian, we, (laughs) as always, thank you for the time, and we wish you the best of luck in Nashville. Thank you, guys. I appreciate you guys for having me on and giving me the time and, uh, and listening to what I have to say. I appreciate it, guys. All right, there you have it, Gumby, Brian Barberena. Yeah, and uh, that that obviously somewhat breaking news that that fight is at welterweight. I do want to point out to our audience that I did check multiple sources, including UFC.com. Uh, all of them still list at time of taping that that fight is going to take place at 155. However, I can confirm through Brian and Joe Proctor that it is both happening at 170. So ignore the UFC hype machine. All right. Uh, glad we could clear that up for everyone and any degenerate gamblers out there and however that might play yeah, into I mean, how you're betting I mean, in, in, we won't, obviously won't talk about that fight today, but you're right. Um, Barbarena at 170 fighting uh, Joe Proctor coming up completely changes the game to him having to struggle with a weight cut. All right, let's transition now to UFC on Fox 24. It's headlined by Demetrius Mighty Mouse Johnson versus Wilson Hayes, uh, which is for the flyweight championship. You could have put a gun to my head. I wouldn't have even remembered that this was coming up. It is a nice little card, though. It's not a bad card. But, you know, I mean, Demetrius Johnson, what what could be said that hasn't already been said? He's crushing everybody. Uh, (laughs) So we usually do a breakdown, and I'll break down, you know, what these fighters have done in their last three fights. I'm not even going to go to Demetrius Johnson's page. He's on in a million fight win streak. He's a minus 850 favorite, but let's talk about his opponent. Minus 850 only? Only. Yeah. Uh, Wilson Hayes is uh, on a three fight win streak. He lost to Juicy Formiga back in May of 2015, then wheeled off a decision win over J- Dustin Ortiz, uh, got a rear naked choke on Hector Sandoval, and a decision win over Olka Sasaki. Three pretty big names. Uh, I don't necessarily know that this is the man to finally topple the king. But what say you? I say it's definitely not the man to top of the king. I mean, look at those three names. Uh, and who would you say out of those three? Ortiz. Names? Dustin Ortiz is the best name on there. And don't get me wrong. I love Dustin Ortiz. I think he's a really, really good grappler. But he is not even on the same planet as Demetrius Mighty Mouse Johnson. Um, and the fact that Husier Formiga beat him, uh, I mean, just bodes really poorly for him. Not to mention... I'll believe Mighty Mouse gets beat the day he actually gets beat again. Um, he's ascended into that land where I, I won't ever bet against him. I won't ever pick against him until he loses. He's got the GSP. Uh, Anderson Silva was getting that treatment for me for a while. Uh, I mean, he's legitimately one of the greatest fighters of all time. 
All right, and if you do want to take a flyer on Wilson, you could get him as a plus 575 dog. Now we move on to the rest of the card, which I think gets a little more interesting. Uh, very important matchup at the UFC strawweight division uh, for the women. You have Michelle Waterson, the karate hottie, at plus 115, taking on Rose Namajunas, the minus 135 favorite. Rose is coming off a very tough loss to Carolina Kowalkowicz uh, back at Ju- uh, UFC 201, which was in July of 2016. It was a fight of the night. Carolina got the better of her, though, in the striking exchanges. Before that, she reeled off three wins in a row. Angela Hill, rear naked choke Paige Van Zant got a decision, a unanimous decision win over Tisha Torres, uh, which is no small feat. So she's 3-1 and one in her last four. Michelle Waterson is 2-0 and oh in the UFC. Since returning to strawweight, she was the Victa Adamway champion. She came into the UFC, got a rear naked choke on Angela Magana, uh, and then a rear naked choke on Paige Van Zant, the hyped one of uh, the female division, sort of the sage of the female division, Sage and Paige, Ken and Barbie. Uh, so what do you make of Michelle Waterson so far in the UFC, and who do you have in this fight, Gumby? I- I've been really impressed with Michelle Waterson, because what she's shown is uh, inferior grapplers, as far as technique goes, aren't going to be able to throw her around. Um, which, which is really interesting to me. That being said, I don't think Rom, Rose Namajunas is an inferior grappler. I mean, uh, you know, I, I was high on Van Zant possibly wrestling Michelle Waterson up before they fought. I don't know if I see Rose Namajunas wrestling her up, but I do see Rose being able to implement some of her grappling better than, than Paige did. Um, and for that reason, I really like Rose, especially because I, I don't see the striking in Waterson that I saw in Kowalkowicz, because Kowalkowicz is far better striker than... Another level. Yeah, another level striker compared to Waterson. So I think this actually... I'm going to favor Namajunas in this one just because I think her grappling is just a little bit better. Um, and the fact that I think it probably goes to the ground at some point in time and that favors her. All right. Well said. And I agree with everything you just said. Another very exciting high profile fight on this card. You have Robert Whitaker, a plus 190 dog taking on Jacare, a minus 230 favorite. And what could be Jacare's last UFC fight. We said earlier in the show that he's going to test free agency. Is, is this the last fight on the contract? Yeah. Team? Oh, he will when, be going... when you said he was going to test free agency, I wasn't quite sure how many there were. Wow. Uh, so, yeah, as of next week, you could have, I mean, well, it, there's probably that non-compete yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and negotiating. And you but... would imagine that they match on on Jacare. I don't put anything past them at this point, yeah, you crazy. know, um, and especially with uh, a MSG pay-per-view for Bellator. I yeah, mean, you might want to, you out. might want to get a Brazilian on that card. So anyway, uh, Jacare is on a two fight win streak. He beat Vitor Belfort via uh, TKO back at UFC 198 in May of 2016, and then beat Tim Bosch via Kimura submission at UFC 208 this past February. His last loss was to Yoel Romero back at UFC 194. Very close split what, decision what, loss. Was it a loss? <laughs> Some people had it as a win. If uh, you want to go back to a further loss, you'd have to go all the way back to Luke Rockhold and Strike Force. Yeah. So, uh, you know, Jacques Ray, since entering the UFC, is a beast. <laughs> is uh, nine and one in the UFC. Yeah. Who you got here? I, I mean, I, I think he's 10 and 0 in the UFC, first of all. <laughs> I'm going to say that because I don't think he lost to UL Romero. And that being said, I right now. I truly and honestly believe that Jacare Souza is the best middleweight in the UFC, and possibly in the world. I, I also failed to mention that, uh, you know, while I'm picking him in this and I think it is Jacare all day, Whitaker, no slouch, is on a six-fight win streak. He, since losing to, losing to Steven Thompson at uh, welterweight... Yeah. 
beat Mike Rhodes, beat Clinton Hester, beat Brad Tavares, beat Uriah Hall, beat Rafael Natal, and beat Derek Brunson this past November. Yeah, and, and those are good names. Those are not Jacare Souza names because, like I said, the best name on that list, probably Derek Brunson. And when we look at what Jacare's done, I mean, Jacare steamrolled everybody. He's looked so damn good. And, and I truly, and I said it a second ago, I really believe he's the best middleweight in the world. Um, and, and it'd be a shame if he left the UFC after smoking Robert Whitaker here. But I hope the UFC pays the man. Absolutely. All right, looking at the rest of the card, uh, the main card on Fox, you have Jeremy Stevens versus Renato Moisiano, uh, and then the fight I'm most excited about is Aljamain Sterling versus Augusto Mendez, because I think Aljamain, this is a must-win for him and a critical point in his career on a two-fight losing streak. What else, Gumby? What are you looking forward to, and what is a performer to watch? What is a fight to watch? Yeah, so I completely agree with you on uh, the Aljamain Sterling fight. I think it's a huge one, and, and Bam Bam, talk to us a little bit about how good Augusto Mendes is and a lot of people are sleeping on him um, I think his grappling is good enough to compete with Aljamain and if that's the case Aljo's striking hasn't looked real great either um, I also have to throw up any kind of respect for for Hoy Nelson versus Alexander Volkov I mean anytime the heavyweights throw down they're must watch and Roy Nelson is just one of those guys who even in losses is super entertaining um, and the last name I'll just throw out there is uh, there's a new uh, French Bantamweight prospect. I'm, I'm probably going to slaughter this because I've never taken French, but I think his name is Tom Duquesnois, Noir, if I'm not mistaken, is how you pronounce it. Duquesnois? Uh, he's, his nickname's The Fire Kid, so we'll call him Tom the Fire Kid. Uh, Tom the Fire Kid fights Patrick Williams. I think he's only like 22, maybe 23 years old. He's 14 and 1 uh, in lots of impressive. Uh, European promotions, especially Bama. I think this kid is the real deal, and you're going to see him climbing up the bantamweight rankings very fast and making them even more exciting than they are. Boom, there you have it. Well, that is UFC on Fox 24 preview and predictions. I am David Tremonti. He is Daniel Gumby-Vreeland. This is Top Turtle MMA Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back next week with another exciting interview and a preview of UFC Nashville, which is headlined by Cub Swanson versus, wait, that can't be right, Artem Lobov. We'll see you next week.